0: Listening to Burnin Return, a weekly one hour podcast covering news from the agricultural and turf grass
1: industries. When you hear
0: the DJ scratch, that means it's time for another episode of Burning turn i want to thank everybody for tuning in for those of you that are tuning in for the first time the way this works is this is a weekly one-hour podcast where we cover news that is going to influence what we experience here in the green industry my name is matt sometimes i go by the grass factor of my end. and alongside me we have ray Edo and ryan to gentlemen how the hell are y'all doing tonight well a
2: lot better than uh, most of the people in our headlines and burns matt it's uh it's a <laughs> Sad week. You know, it's a tough week. And, uh, well, we're going to have to get through it one way or the other. Whether our sausage is 12 or 16, <laughs> you're just going to gonna have to fight through it. Damn ounces. It for ounces. People. He's talking ounces. ounces. I am. I, 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 you, know, <laughs> you know, do you. Oh, now, listen, oh, if I you see don't know what we're talking about, in. if you don't know what we're talking about, our, our pre show for this particular podcast is always. Completely all over the place. And we had a discussion about uh, package sizes related to sausage and, uh, you know, sausage in, in general, right? And uh, the thing that we didn't review on that, we have to get a ruling on this. Uh, when they took that four ounces out, would that, was that in length or girth or both, Matt? What do you think they did to the package size on that?
1: Oh.
2: I'm, I'm going to go length. All right. We might have to email... We well, just might have to email the Jimmy Dean people and say... Can I, dear, can I call dear, the hotline Dean, and ask? Dear Mr. Dean, we'd really like <laughs> to know if your sausage got shorter or less girthy in this apparent package size change, you know... I, I, oh man, I was going to make a really bad joke there, That <laughs> <laughs> we not have played well on radio. <laughs> we not have played well on radio. <laughs> beep <laughs> i'll exercise beep. i'll exercise my conscience on that one and not say it so we'll we'll leave it at that <laughs> ray what's going on in hawaii tonight
3: all this well, sausage uh, talks probably got you hungry yeah it, it has i mean i mean damn it i mean you're because i was telling matt in the pre-show if somebody told me they're going to take out four ounces from that roll of bulk sausage i told him man matt heads are gonna roll because uh i love my biscuits and gravy and the only way i can get biscuits and gravy in hawaii is if i make it myself so that's unfortunate they did that no if they did that my god (laughs) i'd be mad the uh
0: the redneck (laughs) and ray would come to the surface
3: oh very quickly as i of, mean
2: as, as, as if it all already isn't kind of kind of there you know just <laughs> latently latent in the background right <laughs> I, see if, uh, tomorrow if, it were, if i were ray i'd pull everything out of my 401k tomorrow and invest it in the first hawaiian franchise of waffle house you would be <laughs> a millionaire many times over no i wouldn't many many times you
3: know what over. i i get i get protesters because <laughs> Chick Fil A, they ran into a problem trying to open here in Hawaii, in that uh, all of the woke people came out of the woodwork.
1: Hmm. Oh
0: no! Oh,
3: oh yeah! Oh yeah! And I oh, and I'm yeah. like,
0: We're, here come here comes and, the protesters. To us, these guys are Chick Fil A fans. Do you hear this?
3: Yeah, I mean. I've never eaten there but I'd like to and uh I don't give a shit. For
0: the for the patron <laughs> members uh Deme has told us a fun story about Chick-fil-A. Oh, that's a, uh, I, I, and, was, uh, I was just thinking of that. I cannot a in a lady in a in a, a, <laughs> a, a softball league. And yes. uh and we'll we'll put it this way. It was very inclusive and uh and everybody had a great time, had a wonderful time and uh you know Chick Chick-fil-A had no problem, you know. Being inclusive and mm-hmm. honoring the the events of the of the softball. All, match. So, I, I was going to say mean, Chick Fil
2: A did their part, and um, the people that love to eat meat got to eat all the meat that weekend. It was great.
0: This week's headlines:
2: Arby's, we have <laughs> the meats. Chick Fil A's got the dicks, ice baby. Ice. <laughs>
0: We are headline and burn heavy tonight, and so we're gonna we're gonna kinda kind of figure out what we can go here and it's gonna progressively get a bit more aggressive as we go along uh Grab we mentioned la- grabbing a p- psilocybin for the win um to, to kind of kick things off we had talked last week about uh Pennsylvania passing you know a law that we see similar to. Other areas that border the Chesapeake and the uh, the details of this um, have kind of come out here. And this is the uh, Governor Wolf signed SB 251, a bipartisan bill sponsored by Senator Gene uh, Yaw and Senator Caroline committa into law currently known as Act 83 of 2022. And uh, basically, you know, same thing you kind of see like in Wisconsin and and uh, what, what is it, Maryland nearby and stuff like that. So. Um. <clears throat> You can't apply more than three quarters of a pound of nitrogen per thousand square feet per application. Uh, You do not. Oh, oh, My daughter had to say goodnight and uh, Mm -hmm. shall not exceed point nine pounds of total nitrogen per thousand square feet per application, except when labeled as an enhanced efficiency nitrogen fertilizer, where the amount of nitrogen released at any given time shall not exceed point seven pounds of nitrogen per thousand square feet. So if you're using a slow release, you know, if it's thirty five percent slow release, you know, you can apply up to point nine pounds as you know as long as it's as long as you can apply 0.9 pounds as least as long as it's uh 20 slow release uh and it has to be a true slow release uh phosphor well it just says enhanced efficiency here so actually a stabilized nitrogen may may uh, constitute yeah there i think so. i think that's
3: umax you you can do umax right yeah probably
0: whoa we're double downing on headlines as a matter of fact mm. uh phosphorus you can't apply fertilizer fertilizer with phosphor- uh, phosphorus phosphorus unless um, you've got establishment and uh, and probably does this say anything about soul testing here i thought I, I thought i read this yes it um, does yes, yes a soul test does. conducted within the previous three years according to procedures recommended by penn state Soil plant species, climate, turf use, topography, and other appropriate management factors are accounted for in the plan. Rates recommended by Penn State or other institutions of higher education, the Commonwealth approved by the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture. Turf grass fertilizer should, shall contain no phosphorus except when specifically labeled for establishing vegetation for the first time, re establishing or repairing turf areas, or as an enhanced efficiency phosphorus fertilizer, or organic fertilizer or organic based fertilizer if the application rate does not exceed a quarter pound of pea per thousand square feet per application with a maximum total <laughs> application of a half pound of peat per thousand square feet. Uh, you can't leave it on concrete and impervious surfaces. You got to clean it up immediately if you get it on it. Um, if the ground is frozen, uh, you should not be applying that. No person can apply fertilizer containing nitrogen or phosphorus to turf after December 15th and before March 1st. And uh, another provision of the law is that no person may apply fertilizer with a device that is not intended for the application of fertilizer or that has not been properly calibrated operate uh operate fertilizer application equipment or devices in a faulty careless or negligent manner dispose of discard or store a fertilizer product in a manner that is inconsistent with its label would cause over application of fertilizer or, or would result in uh, a direct discharge of storm drain or waters of the commonwealth so sounds like it kind of leaves you some an open to interpretation of that aspect of it by uh you know verifying equipment calibration and that kind of fun stuff and. You know, it's, hey, I think in that particular area, you're starting to get into a murky gray area, but it is what it is kind of thing. And I don't think this is too outside the norm of what to, you would expect to see, uh, as, especially given, you know, what's taken place in all these surrounding states uh, to Pennsylvania. They were just kind of the last to uh, to implement it here. Uh, and chances are this will likely extend over into many other states as we continue on. Um Gentlemen, is there anything about this that y'all want to touch on that I may not have highlighted here?
2: Uh, I mean, I think the only thing was just, you know, the uh, total pounds of nitrogen, right, that they, I'm not going to say it's arbitrary, but, you know, there's some interpretation there about, you know, what, what's on the bag and what it says. I think you can get away with, with certain things. I think, obviously, the the big thing was just trying to put into law what was already common sense, but now it's a law, so, hey, uh That's a lot. Hopefully, there's nobody doing those things on there.
3: And I'm so glad that they included organic bound phosphorus in the regulation because what that means, for example, is people cannot throw down biosolids willy nilly because that's also covered under this regulation. And and that's a good thing because other, you know, I think codes and statutes that I've seen just leave that wide open. Like, for example, Florida. Why is it that Florida says no phosphorus, but the regulation leaves out biosolid-based materials? Biosolids are essentially unregulated.
0: Uh, Well, I think I think I think there is a provision that you cannot apply more than 20 percent of your blend as biosolids. I think mm -hmm. I think that is where they limit that. So I think they're doing it at the fertilizer production level and maybe not at the application
1: level.
3: Yeah, because. You know. True or false. uh, And it, it. containing all biosolids isn't that like five parts nitrogen to like four or three parts phosphorus usually or typically it's a lot of phosphorus yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's Mm -hmm. a lot of phosphorus so i'm glad that this pennsylvania law addresses that because to me i don't care where the nitrogen or phosphorus comes from i count it all
0: and that's interesting because we are going to be talking about that as we get into our burns uh, because, because boy, oh, boy, it's going to get real spicy in there. Uh, <laughs> speaking of you, Ray, uh, the Board of Water Supply asking for conservation amid drought, uh, the Red Hill shutdown. This is out of Oahu. The shutdown of the Red Hill well on Oahu can make the effect of this winter's drought on water supply even worse. The Board of Water Spokesperson Reports water production is already down 20% for Metro Honolulu and down 50% for the Ia Halawa area. Uh, customers will not see will not see an increase in their water bill. Um, uh, for many, this is better news than hitting a hole in one. The Ia golf course may look like it's going through rough times, but really it's part of the city of Honolulu's uh, conservation efforts at golf courses. Two of the city's golf courses are only using reclaimed water right now. What looks like a fountain is actually an aerator keeping fish alive. Uh, Alawai golf course has gone to using only its own well for irrigation. We rely on our well water, which has a lot of salt in the water. That's why when you see the golf course right now it has that yellowish look to the turf. So anyway, they got a conservation plan going on here. Uh, uh Ray, are you uh, hearing any of the effects of this, uh, making its way down to the lawn care sector? Or is this primarily just tapping sports turf for the time being?
3: Actually, There has been a voluntary call to reduce uh, irrigation of turf grass uh, as of, I want to say, three or four months ago. But uh, me personally, I'm not affected. And the reason why I'm not affected is because just about all of my lawns that I deal with are already on an irrigation deficit. And that deficit is in the form of uh, 0.25 inches of water applied three days a week. And that is a a lot less than what is typical for turf maintenance here in Hawaii, where it is not unusual for turf to get over an inch of water per week and in many cases that water is
0: applied daily you know i i i hope this uh I hope, I hope this does ray this is this is where um you know it's it's great to have you on here and talk about you know things that uh, you start introducing into your programs uh whether it's you know for the purpose of conserving water or for actually manipulating uh, the characteristics of the turf that you're managing, managing growth, what, how, for whatever reason you may be doing it, uh, but you know here we have this overall call, and already you've got a plan and action action plan uh, in place to uh, to already start making that that adoption for it. And of course, you know, I, you know Ray, I know you're the kind of person too that if the fit did hit the shan, then ultimately you know what steps you need to take to uh, to, <laughs> to keep things alive. And, uh, and you know, it may not be the, the greenest thing, but at least for the time being, you'll be able to maintain the turf where nobody has to worry about, you know, spending uh, $100 a square foot or $500 a square foot on sod or whatever asinine price that's going to be coming out of Hawaii <laughs> that week. You know what I mean?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, because for me, operating a turf area on a deficit is basically second nature to me because even in good times when water is not restricted, I don't want to deal with all the goddamn gross, okay? I don't. I don't want to deal with the clipping volume.
0: You got to use to your advantage whatever you have to use to gain an advantage. Uh, yeah. Speaking of, uh, Deme, I'm really excited to hear you talk about this, uh, and that is the Aurora could be the first Colorado city to outlaw decorative grass and new landscaping. And when I read the headline and I read, decorative grass i had a totally different interpretation of that versus when i read the actual <laughs> first sentence here or first two sentences uh from parks to plazas and links to lawns roars on the verge of becoming the first city in the state to ban any new grass that isn't functional And the definition of functional is an athletic field picnic area something that has recreational component use to it but not for aesthetic purposes so all grass for aesthetic purposes will be gone uh it's come up with what is maybe the most aggressive water conservation plan ever in colorado Uh, it would ban all new golf courses decorative water features like fountains and grass and medians it would also limit the amount of new sod at new homes to whatever is the lesser of 500 square feet or 45 percent of the backyard the turf limit would Mm -hmm. be enforced by city home inspectors as a house is built Uh, Kaufman, a small government proponent says his proposal is an effort to get in front of the impending crisis. If I don't get ahead of it now, we will have heavy handed mandates on existing properties in terms of tearing out turf. I want to mandate uh, prospectively and incentivizing, uh, incentivize existing while I have the ability to do so. And I don't know how long I have. So the time to act is now. Um so pretty aggressive move in the works here in uh in Colorado if this continues to to make it through. Uh bye-bye lawns up I- anything beyond 500 square feet. That I don't, man that's nutty. But I you know again the water situation in in Colorado's nutty too, right?
1: I don't know. Yeah, it, what are it, your it, thoughts to mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean the the water situation has gotten appreciably worse there especially in the last oh six seven years in particular mm-hmm. so he's right that you know they need to get in front of it uh you know you just it, it, this is what always comes down to it, like the devil's in the details and i i see it from both sides i mean I, from from my perspective it's like okay well is a picnic area always recreational or could we do it in some other type of you know uh substrate right as opposed to making it grass Versus a home lawn where you know you might go out there and play with the kids or let the dog piss or whatever, and it's 500 square feet enough. So I think they're going after the lowest hanging fruit, and I and I get that point of it. The other side of it is, let's be honest here, Ray Matt, how many yeah. dipshit owners of uh, uh, of these homes just set it and forget it with their sprinkler? You know the the the, the people that. You, do, you know, you turn down the street when you do get rain. When you're fortunate enough to get rain, and there's their damn sprinklers on, right? I'm and gonna guess the
0: eighty-five percent. These are the, yeah. these okay, are the people t- recommending
2: sixteen-count Crayola crayons for the classrooms. It's just, <laughs> just, just <laughs> and, and add, there's no two ways about it.
3: And I gotta add to that because here's what I also see: I also see a lot of irrigation systems, even here in Hawaii, with Hideous, shitty coverage. Okay, the irrigation coverage is shitty. I mean, they're. I, I mean, I even tell like my 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 homeowners, look, it. I'm gonna try to get your irrigation system good because shooting water on the sidewalk or on the road or on your driveway isn't gonna make it any bigger. <laughs> yes, no. you know. Yes. I mean, that, that just that kind of stuff just grinds my gears and especially gear grinding for me is when somebody has their irrigation system set up in this lopsided uh, trunk, you know, pattern that just makes no logical sense, does not provide uniform coverage of the turf. And of course, because the head placement is wrong, The only way to get any water on the grass is to have the damn thing shooting, you know, five feet out into the road or, you know, 10 feet out into the driveway. I mean, no more. I mean, that is when, guess what comes out? (laughs) Geo-ripper.
1: Irrigation system gets redone. (laughs) Ray standing there with his
2: shirt off, sweat glistening off his back. It's, I mean...
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, that will be that's the that's the,
2: that's the georipper ad of 2023 It's like diamond head <laughs> in the background and yeah. ray with like a red bandana tied around his forehead just giving it hell you know <laughs> with the old georipper yeah uh, this is a paid ad, this is a paid ad by the way no kidding,
0: kidding. paid ad uh georipper.com check it out show uh to, if if you do choose to check it out tell them ray the green doc sent uh sent you
2: um and it, it oh go ahead,
0: never mind, No, you go ahead, you go ahead, no, I was gonna say i mean
2: the the only thing that uh that came of that though is uh, ray he, he's a little modest, he won't admit it, but he's a kind of upset that their marketing people made him take his nipple rings out for that ad he they were trying to be a little bit <laughs> a li- you know hey listen this is a, it's this fam- this is a family business it. it's a family business here, you know we're we're trying to it's for the kids, you know g rippers for the kids too,
3: but, no nipple but rings. to be honest, but to be honest with you. No worries, because, you know, if I take my shirt off, you'll see no tattoos, no piercings. So Seriously, none. Ray
2: did what Ray did what any self-respecting uh, nipple piercing person would to do. And, you know, he just put on his best pasties and went out there and did the ad. Whatever. <laughs>
0: All right. Ray, Ray did not lose a bet in 2007, as a matter of fact. Uh, by the way, uh, <laughs> speaking of things heading our way. Uh, fertilizer cargo from russia heads to the united states as many worry about food shortages uh all right and so okay we've got uan coming from russia to the united states they're not saying who bought it but i'm gonna fill everybody in on some inside information here this ain't the only damn one this ain't the only time there has been no restrictions on importing uh, uh russian fertilizer through the entirety of the uh pour your russian vodka down the drain movement that that we that we went through early on in this war effort uh and uh and all the other what 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 are they called not restrictions i'm drawing a blank on the word um embargo uh, the 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 trade, Im- the ter-
3: the it, trade embargo it, it, the The trade embargoes right
0: all the the craziness that was going on you know fertilizer was left untouched and uh and so anyway i was at the southwestern fertilizer conference and had no idea that on the regular ships were coming and going uh bringing in (laughs) bringing in russia urea the entire time and i was blown away i was like damn i did not know that was still going on like i thought i thought that was kibosh from from the top and that you can't you can't, you know, deal in in Russian rubles anymore. And like, how you, you know, you, you they were demanding that you had to pay in Russian rubles. They're like, no, no, and then they're not allowing people to exchange currency and all that kind of stuff. Like, how how is that possible? No, it's been going on the whole time. It's just now they're talking about it in the news. So, uh, here it is: thirty nine thousand tons of UAN is showing up, um, and uh, and and this is just one of many vessels that has been back and forth through the entire war effort. Uh, except this one just made it into Reuters this time, uh because you know gotta 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 keep everybody on edge and uh and worried about everything that's gonna be going on uh and then gentlemen, let's go ahead and start to get real saucy here uh Demay shared a, an article here that's pretty pretty interesting, and you know the there there are plenty of criticisms to the genetic literacy project, and uh you know, people talk about how hard lined they are in support of uh, uh, pesticide use and all that fun stuff but from my perspective a lot of the information they do put forth they at least put it forth with uh wh- where they you know uh, wh- what's what's the term cite your effing sources they tend to do a very good job of that and the writers that they have behind this are typically highly educated people uh that are that are respected in their respected fields and uh, and so anyway uh, they talk specifically here uh, about banning Europe and nine other anti-pesticide factoids that are short on science. Uh, risk assessment should be scientific, not a political endeavor. Uh, organic activist group Slow Food recently r- released its list of 10 key facts on pesticides. A post designed to raise awareness about the risk and dangers of pesticides to put pressure on Euro- European policy uh, policymakers to commit To a drastic reduction of pesticides. A quick glance at the article reveals a serious issue, though. There isn't a single fact listed. Every one of the 10 points is an oversimplification or an outright falsehood. Properly used pesticides don't pose an elevated risk to public health. No policymaker anywhere needs to commit to a universal reduction in the use of these chemicals. If you know anyone inclined to believe organic activist rhetoric, send them my list below as an antidote. Slow food, in quotes, followed by my response. And he goes through and, and, you know, some of these are uh, are pretty good. And, you know, we'll kind of highlight the things that were said by Slow Food here. Our current agricultural model that relies, that heavily relies on excessive use of pesticides is dangerous to human health and the environment. Uh, pesticide use has failed to eradicate world hunger and claims that say pesticides are vital for food security are misleading, according to the UN special rapporteur on the right to food. Uh, chronic exposure to pesticides has been linked to a long list of scary diseases. Pesticides are everywhere. Pesticide residues have been detected in many places, including people's bedrooms and children's uh, uh, playgrounds. Pesticides are a harmful business. Every year, around 385 unintentional acute pesticide poisonings are recorded, leading to an approximately 11,000 deaths per year. Farmers and farm workers, particularly in the global south, are the most affected. Many toxic pesticides that are banned in Europe because of health-related or ecological reasons are still produced and exported to non-EU countries with weaker health and environmental laws, causing drastic impacts for human health and the environment. So. Anyway, you can go through this, and I highly recommend that if you are a fertilizer guy, um, or it, really any anywhere in the green industry that that relates to uh, applying pesticides, I highly recommend you read this and come at it with an open mind, right? And don't take all of this as gospel. Everything that's presented here in the Genetic Literacy pro- uh, Project, you know, uh, uh, go seek out uh, information that confirms this level of bias and also uh, works against this level of bias. Advice, And if you find something that you feel like they glossed over hammer into that subject. And the point is, is that the better educated you become on these topics and learn how to speak about these things, the better off you're going to be in being a proponent, a good quality proponent, and a valuable asset to the industry. A lot of times, what ends up happening is, is that you'll be out in the field and someone approaches you and asks you a question about something you're doing, and you don't know how to answer the question. So you mumble fuck your way through it, and then you look like a clown to them. They don't trust what you're saying. They go back and then they start talking about it on social media, and it creates a war zone. Case in point, I got banned from uh, Facebook. It was a couple years ago um, when there was a lady who was going after a lawn doctor franchise in a series of comments that they were making on, uh, there were, of course, lawn doctor was doing advertising online and this lady was going into every one of the ads and, uh, you know, making these claims about using glyphosate and how it was killing all the birds. Uh, it was killing all the bees. And, uh, and so I was offering, uh, uh, research papers that refuted everything that she said. And for whatever reason, uh, and I did not use a single bad word. The only thing I did was cite a series of sources and for whatever reason, you know, Facebook took that as uh, uh, harassment, and uh, and I did. I got I got fully fully kicked Wait. off and banned from Facebook. So um, you got kind of war
2: with somebody on social media.
0: Yeah, I know. I, it's it's very so and, out of listen. I was getting to the point where I called this was going to call this lady a smooth brain. Like I was going that direction you know i, I was
2: you were gonna say you were just gonna stop it right there and say i was about to call this lady <laughs> like you had done your google food <laughs> i would <laughs> like have trust me
0: if if i could have gotten her phone number i would have called the lady and been like listen your 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 iq is somewhere between room temperature and your freezer temperature and uh <laughs> and so if you ever decide to thaw out, uh, take what I sent you to, to, uh, to hopefully use it as an opportunity to digest some information so you can calm down, lady. I don't know who hurt you at another point in your life, but uh, I promise because your uncle was, was horrific to you, it doesn't mean that pesticides are the, uh, are the, the connecting link there. Um, so anyway, again, as we, you know, we navigate this industry, these are the types of things that we need to be prepared to be confronted with. Uh, because there's always going to be people out there that have a uh, uh, a negative outlook on it, and so uh, the the more educated you, know, you Matt, are, and and the better you're able to speak about this, the better off you be. Go ahead.
3: You know, Matt, yeah. I I run into this quite a bit, actually. And I bet you do. I I preface it by because do you know who gives me like some of the most serious, non hysterical. And very rational pushback about what I'm doing. It is actually the local residents. Because Mm. people in Hawaii, believe it or not, are extremely fearful of pesticides. They're super afraid. And this is a holdover from pre-1990s. Because guess what used to happen in the 1990s? And, and prior
0: i mean were they doing like methyl bromide fumigation and stuff like that
3: well let's see matt back in the old days uh they'd be aerially spraying the sugarcane fields with 24d
0: for one yeah. thing
3: and then we don't
0: we don't do that anymore
3: yeah and then of course the uh, other one that i've heard of was the road going into the pineapple fields used to be kept bare with either Velpar or Hivar. And that had some unintended consequences, like uh, somebody's mango tree or orange tree in their yard on the other side of the concrete wall, separating the residents from the pineapple plantation, would go belly up. Because uh, Hivar. And Velpar, as far as I know, are horrific tree killers. So when people, especially people that were around from that time, see somebody spraying, for example, they are nervous.
0: They're nervous. And rightfully so. Yeah, understandably so. You know, and I... Again, part of learning how to talk about this is, is learning to talk about how we have evolved as an industry as well, how yes, our yes. active ingredients have evolved. And uh, and so it, it's it's not just a one part where, you know, someone asks you about pesticides and you look them in the face and you're like, listen, you dumbass, you stupid piece of shit. You don't know what the hell you're talking about, you crazy lunatic snowflake. Blah. You can't do that. You have no, to you be able to have a logical conversation. Yeah,
3: because, like, you know, I I often start by saying, you know, all of the scary things that used to be done prior are either illegal in the state of Hawaii or extremely restricted and limited to where you just can't do that kind of stuff anymore. Not at all. I mean, and I end it by saying anything that is. Still allowed for application in a residential area has had extensive review and safety testing. You know, the review and testing process is a lot. In other words, if there were potential for hazard or harm based on an application done according to the label directions, this would no longer be allowed in a residential area. Period. I mean, I tell them after year 2000, most of the products of concern were also, you know, delabeled, literally delabeled. I mean, what did we lose as of year 2000, Matt? All the stuff uh. that <laughs> I used to use, okay? Yeah. All, yeah, all, yeah, yeah. All, all, the, all, all the crazy stuff I used to use. I, mean, I said, and I told them, you know what? I can't do that anymore. So the only things that are left are the products that can be proven to be reasonably safe when used according to label directions.
0: <laughs> Demay, and you can talk about this and, and I'm not going to ask you to expel more than what you're capable of, but I know that you have to have these conversations in a very big way, uh, with, <laughs> uh, uh, quote unquote, uh, important people, C-suites, if you will. And, um, you know is is there and and this is this is part of my curiosity too because part of learning to talk about this is also learning when to walk away from the conversation because there's no further progress that's going to be made when you're yes. having these types of conversations at that level um is is there is there typically some common ground that can be reached some understanding that can be made or is just the fear so great that the majority of the time you are running into a brick wall
2: I think I I try not to focus on the what or the how so much. I focus more on why and what the expected outcome will be in whatever scenario that somebody's giving me, right? So if it's um anything from we don't want to spray any pesticides, you know that are registered what with EPA ever <laughs> then we can talk about that right i mean i can do whatever you want me to do and i have confidence that we can deliver a good product but we have to make sure that we agree at what a good product is right mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. i don't want managing expectations situ- exactly. yes, and i ex- don't want to get in a situation where somebody says hey this isn't what i thought it would be that's like the, that right. that is like the death knell of me doing a piss poor job right or our company doing a piss poor job so we try to go back again from the outcome of that situation and work our way backwards. And if somebody says, Ooh, ooh, ooh no, 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 I, you know, we, 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 we can't have any weeds out there or, you know, ticks biting somebody. Oh, well, no, we can't have that. Well, mm-hmm. that we didn't have, this is a, a sliver of this conversation, right? Because Matt, to your point, I think you're right that a lot of times it's over generalized. It's oversimplified, right? Uh, people don't know their sides, right? Mm-hmm. C I D E S. And man, Nothing burns Matt up, grinds his gears more than not knowing your sides, right? You're damn right. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, I, I think that's where you go. But we have a great segue into Joe and O's
0: turf on this same topic. I think it'll be great. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait, wait. Before we do that, I have to oh. talk about this because this is, I am very critical of government. And Ray is as well. And there's a reason why. And this is this is exactly why. Wisconsin, by the way, there is a fertilizer out of Wisconsin manufactured in Milwaukee. And if I recall correctly, forgive me, I am a dumb redneck. I don't know shit about shit. But if I recall <laughs> correctly, there is a biosolid product manufactured in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. What is that called? milorganite okay okay we got that now that we have established where milorganite comes from let's now move in to the meat and potatoes here that the wisconsin attorney general sues 18 companies over pfos contamination okay how many times have we talked about pfos in organic matter including biosolids over the last month and a half many 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 times but you know what Wisconsin Attorney General Josh Call here got out really, really far ahead of this and said, You know what? Here in Wisconsin, we are going to make an example to the rest of the country about getting in front of PFAS and cleanup. And you know what we're going to do? We are going to sue 20 companies. We are going to file a lawsuit against 20 companies. It, it, well, I'm sorry, 18 companies as defendants here. We have 3M, including Tyco, BASF, the big boys. We give a shit about you and we're going to go after them you know who they did not go after they did not go after malorganite, who could be arguably the largest land spreader of of uh, pfos that we at least know of over the last 10 years just due to the amount of material that's produced and then spread over a large area right their argument may be, well, the solution to, to pollution is dilution kind of sort of thing, and then as long as we're not hyper-fixating uh, it in one place, that, that may be why it skirted their lawsuit here. But the reality of the situation is this. malorganite is sold to offset the cost of wastewater treatment facilities. So if they sued their own wastewater treatment facility in this regard, it's going to end up passing the buck on to the people that, you know, Put them into power. Right. And they don't want to shine the light on that. Well, maybe we got a little ahead of ourselves here and cramming this down people's throats before we actually knew what was going on kind of sort of thing. So to take away, to take away, to take the spotlight off of what we've been doing to pad our pockets and to make sure everything's going good on our end so we can make our budgets and shit. We're gonna pin this all on all the big boys. Damn it, BASF. Damn it, Tyco. You're all a bunch of scumbags. And the other thing is too, I have not been able to find the actual lawsuit filing yet uh, to be able to see what other companies are made in here. But uh, I know for a fact the uh, the water company is is not listed in it because the water company is, of course, you know, government controlled. Funny, gentlemen. Funny how we're just gonna absolutely pretend like. Malorganite is just the saving grace in this scenario, and BASF and all at all are uh, are the are the the only ones who deserve recognition.
2: I mean, it's
1: uh, but but smoke and mirrors. Uh,
2: It's not. It's some of the smoke and mirrors. There's some political grandstanding. There's all that (laughs) kind of stuff. But these guys, right, gals, who's ever in that AG spot, has to get out in front of this issue, right? So the only thing that you can do is file a lawsuit, right? We got. Our resident uh, lawyer here, Jesse Bousquet, uh, mm-hmm. who, who we all carry $300 in our socks for at all times. That way we can get bailed out, hopefully, and make our first phone call to him. But uh, <laughs> I think he would tell you the same thing, that this is merely to get on record and saying, hey, you guys have caused this, and let's get into litigation and or let's start negotiating. Not any different than how uh, certain states like California have sued gun manufacturers how the federal government in certain states, or pretty much every state, sued uh, tobacco uh, manufacturers. You know, big tobacco. So, you
0: know, and I have I have no issues with them going going after those guys because they are directly responsible for this.
2: But you're you're but right they, that there's being there's people a left certain off.
0: amount of shading that's taken place here to pretend like everything's <laughs> hunky dory when they've got a monumental a potential monumental problem right in their backyard. And how right, are and we gonna, f- how are we going to ignore that? When I yeah, here's and here's how's it going to ignore uh, that? I mean, the the fact
3: that the source of widespread PFAS contamination will become biosolids. And okay, I want to know what would happen if they were to assay these lawns where it's the practice to apply nilorganite on every major holiday like how the advertisements say to do right what what is the PFAS level in that you know in those areas because here's the other thing uh on other burn-in returns did we not touch on how and why there's even PFAS in
0: biosolids Sure, a lot of the- it is coming from food contamination that these people are using to prepare. And uh, and somebody else commented here that they're, they they have been knowingly dumping this shit into the into the waterways. There, mm-hmm. hold their ass yeah. accountable.
3: Yeah, hold hold them to the fire on this one. But my, you know, what my point is is that the big elephant in the room is the massive amounts. Of Milorganite coming out of Wisconsin and being, I know, widely used in Wisconsin, as well as the
0: entire Midwest. Okay, that's the elephant in the room. I, in my opinion, and talk me off the ledge here, Demay, in my opinion, that if they honestly gave a shit about this, there would be report after report, test after test, showing the, the validity of, of uh, no PFOS contamination in, in malorganite. And if there was, if there was, we'd go to all the Home Depots and Lowe's right now, and we would not see it everywhere. But you know what? For 12, $15.99, 12, $133.99, however much it costs, I have no idea how much malorganite costs. There's shelves full of it. I just saw it at Home Depot on Friday. I'll I'll I'll
2: say this is that I think that we've talked about it before on this show that the level of scrutiny and the um I might shit my pants meter over at uh, corporate headquarters of of the uh, Milwaukee Sewage District is probably going up because at some point in the very near future people in you know, spots that are able to take a look at this and do so with something behind it, right? Not just from an independent standpoint, but from a government standpoint are gonna look at this and say, Okay, here's a product that we're continuing to apply or continuing to use on it like what you're saying, on a national basis. Is this a good thing or not? And clearly there's a lot of smoke there. We don't know if there's fire, but it sure seems like it. And that is going to mm-hmm. be a problem for a lot, a lot, a lot of people. So to get out in front of this, I think they set the stage. They they're going after the worst of the worst, the people that are knowingly that are going to claim that, oh, hey, I didn't know that cigarettes were addictive. All those people, they're going to say,
1: mm-hmm. oh, I, I didn't know that, you know. And then, you know, what what will be uh in that?
0: Demet dropped, but in all honesty, that actually does make me feel a little better, and it makes perfect sense, the uh, the direction they're going. But I feel like this could be tackled multifaceted at one time, and at least – because it may come back. There's nothing in it. You got nothing to worry about. You're great. And then that's that becomes an advertising piece. I challenge every lawn care guy that listens to this that spreads fertilizer, that has biosolids, go to your distributor, have them go to the manufacturer or supplier of the biosolids and demand a fucking PFAS report just so that way you know. That way you know you can clear your conscience, you have nothing to worry about, and you can move on. Because at some point, at some point, if this continues, the way this is continuing in the news right now, this is becoming every week Something new about PFOS is making it in the news. Before, it was every six months you'd see it in the news. Then it was every three months. Then it was every month. Now it's every damn week it is in the news. Get, it is our responsibility as applicators, too, to get out in front of this and to stay ahead of the curve of what we have going on. Ask your fertilizer blenders. Ask your distributors if they're going to provide you a product with with, with biosolids have it fucking analyzed for PFAS, so you can sleep at night, and so when these people, like we were talking about in the Genetic Literacy Project uh, article, are asking you about what you're doing, you can give a god honest answer. And if it comes back shit, you can stop applying it and be done with it, and be ahead of the curve, and be like, I stopped applying it because this is what they're trying to force down my throat, and I don't agree with it. So yeah. anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. We, we're gonna have to leave it at that. We got to get on to Jono's turf we're way over yes. here, but. <laughs> Uh, and again, Demay. Actually, what you did actually did kind of calm me down. It doesn't sound like it, but I swear it did. Um, <laughs> all right, gentlemen. This week's we we are going to go from crazy to absolutely crazy. And uh, and man, this absolutely hurts my heart here because my whole foray into social media started with uh, Geek to Freak, uh, uh, Keith Calfas and Stan the Dirt Monkey Genetic here. And uh and so let's first let's hear the let's hear the damn intro. (laughs) Joe nose (sighs) time Hi, I'm Joe. I'm going to give you a bunch of accurate turf facts today because Joe knows
1: turf. Yeah, so (laughs) does Stan
0: the Dirt Monkey Genetic. He knows real damn well about this. Hey, Demay, give us a little lead in here. What are we going to be watching this week? Well, uh, we have a video that was sent in to us that... uh
2: Features Stan, and if you don't know Stan, Stan is part of the uh, Landscape Disruptors Group, which is him and another fellow that uh, have a, a deep background in this industry, and I don't know exactly everything that they've done to come up and, and do what they've done and be in the position they are, but uh, the their foray into uh, LMN, which is a, a software package that many of the biggest landscape companies in America use to run their businesses, everything like that. Not trashing the product, right? We're just sitting here talking about their background, but all that being said, uh, this gentleman has a YouTube following of uh damn near three quarters of a million people. And this was the video that he most recently posted and was sent in to us to take a look at. So let's see what.
0: say. And real quick, I want to give a shout out to uh, my my buddy in uh, Nash, uh, Nash, Vegas, uh, Josh Whitaker, for sending this in to me. What up, Big Josh? It was uh, 140. Quick
2: to, uh, so this video is entitled, for those of you on audio, we got exposed to a deadly chemical! A point. deadly
0: chemical.
4: Right. The day we decided to clear all the brush out so we could set up a new building pad for a yurt. And it wasn't the temperature that made this probably one of the worst possible times we could ever have picked to clear this building pad. It was the fact that just before we arrived, a farmer had got done spraying our field unbeknownst to us with Roundup. Let me back this story up a little bit. We're going to go in and clear out an entire hillside filled with brush using just the bare bones basic equipment. At least that's what our plan was. It was going to be myself, Tarzan, and Cassidy working together. And we wanted to see how far we could get. What I found out the very next day was that my uncle had made arrangements with a local farmer to plant the rolling fields that we're going through with sorghum. The farmer had to kill off the entire field so that he could do a no-till drill, and he used Roundup. And he used that Roundup the very same day that we came in to start doing the brush clearing and cutting. And as you watch this video, you may notice that we don't look good. We're starting to get sweaty, dizzy, and just generally feeling like Crap! And I just attributed that to the excess heat of the day and the fact that it was the longest day of the year, so we got to work real late into the night and just over-exhausted from the heat. And I'm really hoping it has nothing to do with the fresh chemicals that were applied to the field right before we got there. What I found out was the farmer came in late that morning, sprayed the field, and then left. And as he left, we were pulling in right through the exact same field he just got done spraying then we're hauling all of the brush out into that field and dropping it off so that we can then haul it later on down the road out further away so we were working in this fresh sprayed field without having any knowledge of it but I think we're getting a little ahead of the game let's back this up to where it all started. Good morning, good evening,
0: good afternoon. J Pink, fast forward about halfway into this video here, just so we can see the kind of conditions these guys are working in, right? Right there. Back up a little bit. Yeah. All right. So
2: if you're watching, great. You can see what's going on. If you're not, we got uh, Tarzan. I don't think that's his real name, guys. Just my guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is out there in shorts. It looks like boat shoes uh, and no shirt right now. Pushing around the uh, little walk behind Gravely, Bush Hog and brush cutter, right. <laughs> the the this this presents a problem because they're back in some heavy brush in a you know the edge of a wood line. So if you can imagine, he's got an open field behind him, about twenty feet behind him, and then right out around there, he's got uh, just a thicket of understory, low growth shit that they're trying to take out. So let's watch them run around here and. Uh, rolling the poison ivy patch.
4: All right, so refresher course. All right, here's the refresher course on how to run this thing. You're in neutral. It runs like, like the 100%. Rasta rear, you know. Forward. forward you can see forward, that every day. Backward. There's your clutch. You got to have the clutch engaged. Matt, you should do that. You break, you've got
0: absolutely not
4: your fuel on off throttle Oh, Fuel on off is here. Here. Alright, so he's going then, through here. Fast uh, forward a little bit. There's a the couple brush. other ones of them. You let
2: the machine drag and it, brush out back. of here. Everything like that. So I mean there what suffice to say, they mentioned it several times. It's a hot day. Here you go. Here's old boy just ripping through stuff, throwing everything in the air, dust, debris, wood chips. The whole bit. I
1: mean, mm-hmm.
2: Alright, like. so pause the video here real quick. And then there's there's uh Stan. In suspenders, no shirt, and some pants, uh, sunglasses up. I I should mention, too, that nobody here is wearing eye protection uh, in any part of this video. So, gentlemen, uh, you know, we had a little bit of a discussion here a few minutes ago about what to say and how to deal with all this kind of stuff. So, there's a few things here uh, that we can make mention of as far as being educational and taking this content and trying to put the science behind it. So, first, let's discuss. Uh, the, you know, relative safety of glyphosate, right? We've talked about it many times, so we can do this part quickly. And then we can go through and talk about, hey, here's an actual real-life scenario where somebody's gone batshit on you because of what you used and what you sprayed lawfully and how to handle that situation without, like I think what Matt said, blubbing around and sounding like a fucking idiot. So, Matt, go ahead and throw, or but JP, go ahead and throw at Matt's link there real quick, and let's look through the cited literature that we have uh, on
0: Roundup, glyphosate. These are the risk assess- assessments by the major global health organizations that have taken a look at this. And so the first two here we have from the EPA and the summary here, human health risk assessment concludes that glyphosate, not li- glyphosate is not likely to be carcinogenic to humans and no other meaningful risk to human health. Not likely to be carcinogenic to humans little evidence of toxicology uh, of toxicity to the, from the uh, national toxic toxicology program health canada uh, do not present unacceptable risk to human health no pesticide regulatory authority in the world currently considers glyphosate to be a cancer risk the european chemicals agency uh, no hazard classification for carcinogenicity uh, carcinogenicity is warranted classifying glyphosate as carcinogen is not justified the european food safety authority unlikely to be genotoxic or pose a carcinogenic threat to humans the assessment group on glyphosate from the European Commission, uh, carcinogenicity, uh, carcinogenicity is not justified. Uh, from as out of France, level of evidence of carcinogenicity in animals and humans is considered to be relatively limited due to a lack or absence of scientific data. Uh, the Germany uh, said, uh, do not show carcinogenic or mutagenic properties of glyphosate, nor that glyphosate is toxic fertility. Uh, from Switzerland. Uh, Residues of glyphosate and the foods investigated do not represent a risk of cancer. From Australia, glyphosate does not pose a carcinogenic risk. You go through all these, including the WHO, the Agricultural Health Study, with a longitudinal study that was published in 2018 that studied the glyphosate impacts of 54,251 pesticide applicators since 1993. Concluded no association was paired between glyphosate or any solid tumors or lymphoid malignancies overall. Uh, And then, of course, the IARC says limited evidence. In humans for the carcinogenicity There is a strong evidence that exposure To glyphosate or glyphosate based formulations Is genotoxic so that is the Only one that has ever come out and has been Refuted many times since then By many different agencies across The world and here we go We've got Stan Genetic who has unpacked it himself Here Demay let's go ahead and talk About your, your article that You posted here Oh, Demay uh, had to step away Demay had, had to step had to away his-
3: Oh, my goodness.
0: I got excited there. Ray, have you looked at this PubMed article here?
3: Yeah, I have looked at the PubMed article, and the only known human issues associated, associated with glyphosate involve eye contact or ingestion of the actual glyphosate concentrate because typically the glyphosate concentrates are formulated with tallow amine type surfactants and tallow amine type surfactants are essentially soaps. And there is an issue with that surfactant being corrosive to eyes and the digestive tract. In other words, uh, it is just as harmful as ingesting or eye contact with a detergent. Is that so, is that would that be
0: like kind of like if you wash your hair with shampoo and you get shampoo in your eye and it doesn't feel real fucking good?
3: Yeah, it feels horrible or else uh what is that shampoo gonna taste like if you get it in your mouth? You yeah, probably or not very tasty. Probably it'll be it'll be horrible, but but what I also know is that once glyphosate has dried on vegetation. Here's what's good about glyphosate when it's sprayed on vegetation. It is non-volatile. Okay, Matt, it is non-volatile. In other words, if that farmer sprayed that field in that hundred-something degree day, by the time Farmer Brown got off that field with his tank empty, the field would already be dry. Uh, there'd be no hazardous vapors or fumes present to pose a, pose a hazard. And here's how safe glyphosate is. If a dog or an animal were to eat that treated vegetation, there would be no minimal to no risk of toxicity to that animal eating that vegetation. None okay but, but uh, what
0: about the shikimate pathways ray okay, okay. And I'm, and I'm being facetious when i say that i'm 100 yeah. percent being facetious I'm yeah trying absolutely to a fight there and yeah uh, and yeah. we yeah. we've talked about that before and it's in uh, again you, when you are so desperate for uh for correlation that you're having to 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 analyze uh uh c- c- purely manufactured we don't Purely manufactured correlations here to, uh, to try and draw, uh, uh, draw some sort of conclusion that fits your argument, uh, then it, all credibility has been lost. And speaking of lost credibility, Stan Genetic, you, sir, take the cake for 100% lost credibility. Here's the thing. He yeah. says in this video, it is a 100-degree day. It's been relatively dry. In Minnesota, according to the crop reports that I see, it's not like they're out there getting six inches of rain a week kind of sort of deal. Here's the other thing is... Go ahead. I got to
3: stop right there because this is what I know about forested or wooded areas. Those are specifically the kind of areas that I stay away from on a hot day. And do you know why I stay away from forested or wooded areas on a hot day? Tell me, Ray, why? It is because that forested or wooded area is way more humid than an open area. So that heat combined with the humidity will put my ass on the ground. Okay. And here's these guys thinking they're tough, you know, bush hogging and clearing brush on a hundred degree day. In the damn forest. I mean, I cannot blame
0: here,
1: that Let me say something else here.
0: In, <laughs> this, in this kind of condition. So these are, these are gentlemen from Minnesota who are acclimated mm-hmm. to a certain set of weather conditions. And guess what? How many days a year does it reach 100 degrees in Minnesota? 10? 5? How many days above Mm -hmm. 85 does Minnesota experience temperatures, experience those temperatures? Probably not many. Nowhere near as statistically significant as you may see from someone in, oh, I don't know, South Texas, for instance. Here's the other thing. When you're in wooded areas like that, cut and brush the amount of freaking mold and everything else that's everywhere, anyone has cleared brush, especially if you've done it in a very high, high pace hectic kind of way where you're trying to make a significant amount of dent, a significant dent in a short amount of time. If you have walked away from that without a sinus infection, it's because you're a freak of nature. It, I guarantee you 95% of the human population would do that and would feel sick from sinuses and everything, heat stress for the next three days after that kind of labor-intensive work, especially when you're not acclimated to that kind of temperature where you're doing that, especially when you're not acclimated to doing that specific kind of work. You run bulldozers and you run, you run a business where you handle management. Now, all of a sudden, you're out here clearing brush for 10, 12 hours to park your yurt. you damn right you're going to be sick. You're going to feel like shit. Guess what? The first few days where it's hot as hell here and I'm outside busting my ass, guess what I feel like shit the next two days. It's a simple fact of adjusting to the conditions that are going to be out there and to point this to point at this and say that this is a product with confidence, with absolute confidence, sharing this with three quarters of a mi- of a million people with such authority that this is a result of glyphosate is a genuine disservice to this industry. Stan genetic, you can clearly sir, Go fuck yourself with the two by four, fucking sideways. Go fuck yourself.
1: Absolutely. Uh, let's check have out this week.
0: burnt? Huh? No. Have sorry.
1: you seen more
2: prices lately? It might have to be like a two by two. You don't have that big of a. <laughs> <budget. I'm
1: sorry.
0: laughs> yeah, I could care less if it's a gold bar. He. he, he, he yeah. Wait 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 wait, wait! 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 Hey. wait! 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 What
2: if we find, even if they're expired, what if we find some of them 16-ounce uh, Jimmy Dean sausages? Could we use that?
1: <laughs> those, little metal,
2: those little metal staples on the end, those aren't going to be good going in the sideways, guys. I know. I'm not a pathologist, yep, yep. but that's, well, I that's d- not good I for
3: don't business. care. I don't care because, you see, here's the thing that I sometimes run into, too, is that I sometimes run into these grass cutters that Shoot their mouth off too. More so than the homeowners. I hate that. Okay, man. Hey, I absolutely George. Hate
0: that. <laughs> George Keith Wilson. You see me? You see me sucking on this right here because I'm a because I'm a, a lunatic coquette. Guess what, buddy? You two, sir, can hop on that soul train. And when Stan is done with his two by four or two by two, whatever expenses allow, we'll go ahead and let you get in line for the next one because I promise you, I promise you Keith anytime George Keith Wilson anytime you want to come on the show and have a genuine conversation where I won't be screaming and we can talk like two grown adults I promise you I will block off 16 hours of continuous time for us to share <laughs> our life experience and we will have a wonderful time because I could care less what your opinion is of me buddy all right and we'll we'll do it right in front of the world unedited unscripted no punches pulled just talk it out and hash out our differences in the meantime in the meantime you can continue to milk the ginger and how to with doc's nipples as aggressively as you can and maybe just maybe they'll share with you a drop maybe they'll give you a drop now can we do this week's burns i got nipples greg will you milk me I've never seen that movie, but I know that line.
3: Oh, you got uh, it. It's famous. It's a good
0: movie. It's a super good movie, Matt. <laughs> Matt. Um, here's the. Damn it. Why did I put this one here? Why did I do this? Why did I put this? It's so stupid of me to do this right out of Joe Knows Her. Association rejects herbicide linked to cancer. The National Association of Plant Protection Industry and rejected that glyphosate is linked to cancer risk following an action to suspend the application of the herbicide on the banks of the Al Jazeera stream. You can read this if you want. I'm not going to. We're going straight to the next one. How about them apples? Uh, where are we here? Uh, The deal should help us breathe. Africa welcomes Russian-Ukraine grain deal. Uh, The effects of the war in Ukraine have reverberated across the world, and that is especially the case in Africa, where the blockage of grain exports from Ukraine has stoked soaring wheat prices and exacerbated exacerbated hunger and starvation. So officials, aid groups, and wheat importers across Africa welcomed Friday's deal to unblock grain exports in Ukraine, where the war has led to grain shortages and rising food prices across the African continent. The noose was tightening, so the deal should help us breathe. Um, The the U.N. brokered agreement between Russia and Ukraine is particularly important in 14 African nations that, according to the Food and Agricultural Organization, depend on the two warring nations for half of their wheat imports. One country, uh, Eritrea, is fully dependent on them. But the deal will have limited impact in some other parts of Africa where nations are battling internal political, economic, and social crises that have also contributed to growing hunger and high food prices. Uh, This is particularly true of countries in East Africa, where the worst drought in four decades has decimated farm and livestock, dried up rivers and wells, led to the death of hundreds of children. Jesus, that is horrific. The civil war in Ethiopia, political uncertainty in Sudan and conflict and terrorism in countries like Burkina Faso, Mali, and Somalia have prevented governments and humanitarian agencies from getting aid to many people in the world. Mm, War solving problems again. And it goes on and on, and uh, and so for those of you that have not heard, uh, there has been some sort of deal brokered between uh, Ukraine and Russia uh, that they are going to allow Ukrainian wheat out of the country, and, uh, and it looks like it is going to be uh, uh, sent to Africa to ease the grain shortages and inflation that is going on there. You know, we were talking about how. Uh, you know, here in the United States, we would be relatively shielded from the uh, the, the type of hunger that's going to exist throughout the world. But it's the, the developing nations and lesser nations that are going to be suffering the worst. And here we see it specifically, um, and from a multifaceted standpoint too, where not only are they unable to get grain, they have their own farming issues at home. Then they have their own internal conflicts as well too that are leading to the deaths of children, hundreds of children, uh, due to to uh, the way this compounds on itself, which is just. If you if you can't be empathetic towards that, then you can go fuck yourself. As a matter of fact, because that's just a terrible, terrible thing, um gentlemen. I you know after the uh, after this w- was reached, I know Russia did bomb uh, or or uh send some missiles at the port. I do recall. If I, I can't remember exactly where it was, but, but yeah, it was the port of Odessa. And and that's and that's not good. But it, it seemed to be that uh, that Ukraine was kind of like ah, shrugged it off, like. We're, we're still going to get this done anyway.
2: Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it, it's I think it's going to be a situation where obviously it's brinksmanship and, you know, sending messages and everything like that, but does it really account or amass anything? So, you know, the downstream effect on this, like we, what we've talked about since this all blew up, literally and figuratively, has been can... These farmers, you know, number one, get the grain that they do have to market. Number two, are they able to have a crop this year that is anywhere close to what they would normally have, and then can they get that out? And so, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out as far as um, the piece, right the uh, the relative's piece that they're allowing to happen right now to get this stuff out, but. Again, there's still a lot of question marks inside the country, right, as far as can we uh harvest and can we get to port and get out of the country as much as we really need to uh and I think that's going to be a scary proposition. I think it's there's still many cards to be played there on both sides, and again while well, it all it does is just short changes you know the people that need it the most, which clearly Africa is hurting and if you look at you know they talk a lot in this article and subsequent articles about you know the prices that people are paying there and it's not just like you know you and i oh hey man I'll, I'll cancel the netflix subscription or something like that like these people have next to nothing right and when the price of bread or flour doubles right and they don't eat a ton of it in certain parts of africa but parts where they do it's this is a, a very impactful thing that's been going on for a while now so we'll see what happens boys that's all we can do
3: wall wow. just wall wow. I mean, this is, uh, you know, I know something about Africa and how their food supply is very tenuous because there's chronic drought, there's, you know, unrest, terrorism, and, you know, food supply issues on top of that, and... Some of the food supply issues are also related to various uh, entities also inserting what I'm going to call woke, you know, agriculture and woke environmentalism, you know, into into the mix as well. I mean, we've covered it on, on past burden returns where, uh, what, in Africa, there's, uh, you know, various agencies, like including the EU, now telling Africa, oh, you can't do that. But, uh, you know, maybe not, this is not a tangent, but to me... Let me ask both of you this. If you had a choice between eating something that had maybe a couple parts per million of glyphosate on it versus not being able to eat at all, what would your choice be?
0: It's simple. Serious
3: serious question.
0: It's easy. It's not even a question, right?
3: Yeah, it, it is so easy because, you know, Matt, I get all of these, uh, I see all of these scary videos on YouTube and in uh, various other places, and meanwhile, while I, while I'm making up my fettuccine, I'm thinking, "Oh God, I'm gonna die!" <laughs> okay, I'm gonna die because there's all of this chatter about how, oh, you know, they they spray wheat with glyphosate right before harvest. Of course they do, and. You know what, Matt, I would prefer that they do that with glyphosate versus other things that I think they could possibly use
0: exactly
1: exactly and here
0: and here's the other thing too if anybody's ever harvested green grass green grain before and piled it up and watch what happens that shit will spontaneously combust by the way and (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, we have enough fires in food processing facilities as it is over the last year and we don't need to add any more fodder for the conspiracy weirdos out there just kidding that's me um all right, we're going to talk about the, the big one on the chopping block here. If anybody's been paying attention to anything, boy, uh, we came out of the, the, the truckers in Canada rolling into downtown Ottawa to all of a sudden, everything that's going on in uh, the Netherlands is now made its way to Canada. Our boys, oh, our man. buds over up uh, up north there, they uh, had a meeting with federal and provincial ministers wrapped up in Saskatoon on Friday with uh, several provinces saying they are disappointed. Uh, The federal government is looking to impose to reduce nitrous oxide emissions from fertilizer, saying it is a greenhouse gas contributing to climate change, while the Trudeau government says they want a 30% reduction in emissions, not fertilizer. Farm producer group says that at this point, reducing nitrous oxide emissions can't be done without reducing fertilizer use. And now, so and I want to stop right there for a second. I want to ask you, gentlemen, how are we going to release nitrous oxide emissions from farms without without reducing fertilizer usage and then and then from from there i'm gonna i'm i'm gonna move into the four r's and stuff but so just real high level without reducing fertilizer inputs how are we going to reduce nitrous uh levels reduce the amount of
2: planted area but all you got reduce your production that's it
3: reduce your production and also, when you reduce production, here's the downstream effects. Because I understand that not all of the crops grown are for direct human consumption. They're also targeting livestock. Yes. That is and, the inlets, and, and let's,
0: <laughs> and let's, and let's get, and get point into this. Yeah. Because there is a, a kind of a, a follow-up article to this that I found that I thought was uh, absolutely wonderful that demonstrates a lot of the hypocrisy that goes on here. And and it says, The 4R principles promoted by Fertilizer Canada are increasingly accepted and practiced by farmers across Canada. <laughs> Round of applause for Canadian farmers. Hell yeah! Love that. It makes sense to apply nutrients from the right source at the right time in the right place at the right rate. However... Recent Fertilizer Canada lobbying has morphed the fourth principle from right rates to holding lines at rates without a mandatory reduction in the use of fertilizers. The stewardship section on Fertilizer Canada website has many commendable points about optimizing nutrient management, better crop and soil management, improving fertilizer efficiency, reducing energy use per harvested unit of farm production, uh, of, of farm production improving net farm profit. Nevertheless, these assertions, and especially the last one, can be contradicted with their proviso, uh, proviso uh, without sacrificing yield potential. Okay, now this is where it's going to get a little bit interesting, and I think the most important part that is talked about here is going to be in uh, uh, this this little highlighted area down here at the bottom. Um, and uh, I, I don't I don't know how to share this with you JPEG to show you where I am, but I'll go ahead and post it here, and that way you can you can find it. Um, and it says. Uh, and it's going to go, in our current momentum of planetary history, we use prime farmland to grow more feed than needed and give uh, food, food-grade food grain to livestock. By optimizing food processing byproducts and forages for uh, livestock, Ontario could, could reduce arable land for feed production by 40% while maintaining sufficient animal protein and an adequate diet. Farmers could choose to grow food crops on that 40% of land now used for feed. The other thing that this could also point out would be Bio, uh, 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 uh biodiesel, and uh, what what is what is the other one? Uh, uh bioethanol. Ethanol. That is uh, ethanol. Yep. Uh, production is mm-hmm. going to be a huge one here that this ends up going to, and uh, and it is something they address here. But but this is my absolute favorite part. I recommend for uh, farmers be incentivized to reduce fertilizer rates. Chemically synthesized nitrogen fertilizer is especially effective for increasing crop yields, but it also leaks as nitrous oxide and nitrate. Let's suppose that on average, corn farmers apply 180 pounds of nitrogen fertilizer per acre for a yield of 180 bushels of corn per acre, a ratio of one. 180 pounds of nitrogen 180 bushels of corn per acre that is a ratio of one part nitrogen fertilizer one part yield in bushels for those who reduce the ratio to less than one payments could be made proportional to the reduction for example by employing genuine for our principles a lower fertilizer rate of 150 pounds of nitrogen fertilizer per acre might result in a slightly lower yield of 170 bushels of, per, of corn per acre with the subsequent ratio of 0.88 Others may use a genuine 4R principles by applying manure (laughs) to support corn growth and then limit nitrogen fertilizer to 90 pounds an acre. If the manure supplies enough nitrogen, the corn will yield 180 bushels per acre and the ratio will be 0.5. Organic farmers who do not apply synthetic fertilizer will have a ratio of zero. Organic systems can still achieve average yields of about 150 bushels per corn acre What's insane about this is that there's a, this is a complete and total myth that if we apply organic fertilizer, that we are circumventing nitrous oxide emissions. Because gentlemen, what happens when organic matter is mineralized? Is there a nitrogen load? When we look at organic fertilizer, do we see an NPK analysis on the bag?
3: Sure do. Sure as hell is do. Is that
0: subject to nitrification and nitrous oxide emissions? Absolutely. Absolutely. I so mean, as, see- long as, as long as we're not applying chemical fertilizer, we're only applying organic fertilizer, what we fucking put in the environment does not fucking matter. It only matters if it comes from a synthetic source. How does that make yep. sense?
3: It doesn't make sense. It makes no it-
0: sense. It,
3: it's this is infuriating all- to me. So this is all more of this woke bullshit virtue signaling. It's all part of the virtue signaling. I mean, Canada got on the woke bullshit virtue signaling train a long time ago when their various provinces decided to restrict pesticides, right? Now that's not good enough. We need to be even more virtuous and pious. We now need to go after all the fertilizers. And here's my question, Matt. Tell me now, if I were concerned about my actual impact on the planet, what has more impact on the planet? A 200 pound per acre load of fertilizer? Or having to cart around, transport, and apply tons of manure. Right. Like, how are we than-
0: going to feed the animals that produce the manure if we're not growing uh, food for livestock? Oh, we're going to do it all through byproducts? We're going to feed all our livestock through, through silage? Are we yeah, going to take, so- take all our bourbon waste or uh, 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 whatever it is from the byproduct of bourbon production, and that's going to feed every fucking cow in America, so we can generate enough manure to be able to make up ninety pounds per acre of nitrogen. It doesn't make any sense. R- R- Ray, I mean Ryan, I'm having I'm having a, a heart attack. I'm stroking <laughs> out over here. I love the idea of pushing people to do better. I think, and I think it, it is a necessary thing, and I love. The adoption of the four R's, I think it's an incredibly valuable tool. But at what point when we're pretending like if it's organic, that means it's 100% okay have we not entered peak fucking clown world and we're just completely ignoring what could also be another monumental disaster if indeed what is perceived right now as agriculture is a monumental disaster. It's
2: it's never wise, again, to not go look at the, like I was just talking about a little bit ago, to not look at the outcome and got to work your way backwards to figure out how we got there, right? So when you look at the, let's just look at the manure thing for a moment, right? And obviously there's different ways to process that and get that off the farm and into fields. But depending on how that's done and what time it's done and everything like that, you know we're we're potentially releasing methane into the environment, right? Which is just another greenhouse just gas. Is bad. Another gre- as bad as uh, as, as know, ni- nitrous, nitrous oxides. Yes, yeah. oxide.
3: yeah, so another greenhouse gas, folks. It's another greenhouse gas, and so here's my here's my problem with manure. Typically, what we see done with manure is absolutely horrendous. Okay. I mean, it's to the point where I say don't use it, don't do it because when is manure typically being applied to fields? It isn't according to the four R's, let me tell you that. I mean, how many (laughs) frozen ground applications are made and you know why they're, they're made when the ground is frozen? Because application equipment for manure does not lend itself very well to going between rows of crops, like a fertilizer drill or a sprayer equipped with a drop boom. Okay. That's reality. So, you know, what happens then is your manure is typically applied at, the wrong time according to the four r's and uh this is even in like i i remember watching a video shot in the netherlands and they were injecting manure into a field and this was in the winter
0: OK, if anybody if in, in what, what race specifically talking about here with with uh, with the application of manure. And, and again, I'm not shitting on the fact of of saying nobody should ever use manure. What, if, what I want to make this clear. My point is, is that whether fertility comes from manure or a synthetic source at the end of the day, once it's mineralized in the soil, it's all synthetic, quote unquote, synthetic fertilizer. We're converting to nitrates and nitrates, and nitrites in the soil the same thing that we would be applying ammonium and nitrate to the soil eventually it's going to become nitrates and nitrites in the soil the exact same way it's going to take a different path to get there but it's going to end up at the same if the same finish line now what ray's saying when you're spreading this you have to get it down pre-plant for a specific reason if you've got four inch seedlings out there and you're spreading manure on it it's going to absolutely bomb the shit out of this it's not like side dressing granular fertilizer Manure chunks are huge, and they weigh a ton, and they're going to hit plants, and they're going to damage them. But Ryan, I, please finish your thought here because I, I'm I'm trying I'm trying not to seize. I'm going to have a seizure. <laughs> I can't I can't hear you. Turn your mic on.
1: You I said, it. is
0: the left side of your face
2: gone limp? Is everything okay? <laughs> <laughs> but- I thought that was Bell's palsy. Oh no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> so the only other thing i'll say is this is just the you know with with using manure as an example and again they're probably over generalizing again of how to use that particular product and using it in their example however the the thing that i go to or, or immediately think of is what can we not really manipulate in that scenario of applying a lot of manure right outside of nitrogen What's coming on what's coming in with that manure as well? A lot of phosphorus. Phosphorus.
3: Yeah. Plenty of phosphorus lots and lots of, and
2: lots of phosphorus.
3: Tons of phosphorus. And in fact, uh, you know, even within our own industry, the turfgrass industry, right? Uh, have we not seen people get into trouble when they do biosolid-based fertilizers, and next thing you know, They're staring down the barrel of a lawn that now has 200 parts per million of phosphorus. Have we not seen that?
0: Yeah, it happens and it's easy to get there. That's why we have dairy farms all across America that are being shut down right now because the EPA is coming in and looking at their soil and it is so damn sky high. And they're like, look, if you apply, one more ounce of your manure to your field, we are going to shut you down. You've got to, to you've got to uh, 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 collect this and get it off site. And this is happening. Yeah, it- this is happening across America right now that nobody's talking about. And you know why it's happening? Because of this regenerative practice of reusing the manure from the animals that you're growing and re-putting them back on the fields. That's regenerative agriculture right there in a nutshell. So it doesn't always work out as intended, okay? It's not all roses. In On, on no. small-scale scenarios where you can have animals in and out and limit the number of animals you need because you're only feeding a family of four and you got two cows, six chickens, and two goats kind of thing, you can probably get away with it with no problem for decades to come, and it's going to work really, really well for you. But when it comes to managing an entire populace the size of fucking Canada in North America, it starts to get lost in the weeds at economy and scale. And I, and again, I'm appreciative of the desire to do better and to demand more from big ag, from small ag, from lawn care operators, from homeowners. I think all of that is good but we have entered peak clown world to pretend that we're hitting magic uh, uh, environmental ratios by substituting one fertilizer for another fertilizer, but another one has organic in front of it. So therefore it bypasses all restrictions. It's insane. And we deserve better transparency than that. And the governments, the governments that put this shit forward and pretend like we're too stupid to know the difference is highly insulting. It's incredibly insulting. And you know what? They could get away with it and manipulate the 25% of people that they need to manipulate to secure their votes. But you know what? That means we need to be louder about it. And that's why we do this show in a nutshell so we can be loud about it and educate people. So that way, when this shit starts showing up on your doorstep, because I promise you at some point in our lifetime, it 100% will. And it may not be at the scale we see in Canada. It may not be at the scale we see in Europe, but it's going to be presented in front of you. And you've got to be armed with the mental acuity to be able to tackle it head on. And that's that's how we're going to uh, end it there uh, because we've got to move on to this week's returns. But you know, for my boys in Canada, I love you guys. I love you guys, but this is highly, highly insulting to pretend. Uh, and I, I hope, I hope you look at your leaders there. And I, and I'm not saying this is a left first right thing. This is not a left first right thing. I see this on the far right. I see this on the far left. It's the same thing. It's like, for instance, when when the glyphosate and food article came out, there was just as many far right people that were bitching about it as there were far left people saying that the government is trying to poison us. And on the same way, they're saying on the other side. The, the the rednecks of rural America are trying to poison this kind of sort of thing or the the corporations are trying to poison us it's all the same thing the reality of the situation is is that they all think they know what's best for you and they feel like they can manipulate you just enough to earn your vote and that's all they give a shit about let's check out this week's burns returns
1: He returns <laughs> <laughs>
2: Maybe we'll have to do that, Matt. Maybe we'll have to maybe we'll have to start if we have so many burns, we'll have to section them off into a uh you know, slight burn, you know, just like you know, you touch the stove <laughs> wrong and then uh you know, uh if we go all the way up to you know, I accidentally had a you know, a drop of pure capsaicin that entered my
0: piss hole, you know, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> For people that are legitimately worried about my blood pressure, don't. It's actually really good. That's why I do as much cardio as I do. Like for instance, when I got up this morning, I actually have low blood pressure. Uh, uh, you know, and uh, so when I get up in the morning, typically my blood pressure is like one hundred five over fifty five. I don't have any symptoms of low blood pressure. I don't get dizzy or anything like that. So you know, it's good. How do you do it, I'm sh-
3: Matt? Huh. Uh, well, you know,
0: I'm I'm on I'm on medication and I train my absolute ass off. And uh, and you know what? After after I, I I busted my ass at the gym today, I came back, took my blood pressure again. And it was it was uh 109 over 58. And uh, and so, you know, I'm trust me, okay. I'm a OK. I get excited about this because I'm fucking passionate about it because yeah. I have this fear. I have a legitimate, overwhelming fear of people dying to death. I don't know what it is. It's something that as i have uh, starving to death, the older I've gotten my interest in agriculture, it, 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 call it having kids or what it is. I do not know, but I have an overwhelming fear of people starving to death, including my own, my own family. I swear to God, the, the shit keeps me up at night. And that's why agriculture specifically has become something of, of more focus of mine over the last, I don't know, five years, I guess. Matt, likewise,
3: yes. uh, You know, I've had that fear of starving for as long as I can remember. You know, I've had that fear because uh, essentially, remember now, I'm on a little island in the middle of the no of nowhere, right? And thanks to my woke ass government, (laughs) the only food bring produced in Hawaii is Gourmet organic greens. How the shit do you live on that?
1: There's no meat.
0: It is tasty. I'll I'll eat the hell out of some organic greens. I got no issue with
3: it. No, there there's no meat. Real meat produced here. There's no milk produced here. There's no there's no really no eggs produced here. So the the staples are all gone. So any of that needs to be imported into Hawaii, right? And, you know, when you said dairy farms, the specific reason why there are no dairy farms in Hawaii is because the various environmental prohibitions and regulations make it so that you can't have a dairy farm here. You can't oh, do it. wow.
0: But it's organic fertilizer, right? And it's going to make everything better. No, you I see can't it can't because it, it's organic. and then. If it's organic, here, here it can Here in the
3: state of Hawaii, hmm. what is regulated hmm. equally, if not more, is, I guess, the effluent from a dairy farm is considered raw sewage. And the state is extremely gun-shy about raw sewage because, for example, the federal EPA is after the state of Hawaii regarding deficiencies in our wastewater plants and the number of cesspits that are you know part of the uh construction here in Hawaii. So but you know likewise we don't that still doesn't excuse the fact that we don't have dairy farms, we don't have a lot of meat we don't have a lot of uh eggs or even chickens produced locally and definitely not enough to stock the grocery stores
0: this this has has ray fired up tonight where he's even dipping back into it um ray let's let's get to this return here uh especially crop entomologist from cornell agritech in the New York State Integrated Pest Management Program, we use a 300, I mean, I'm sorry, three hundred—I mean, sorry, three-year, four hundred fifty thousand dollar grant from the New York State Department of Agriculture and Markets to evaluate alternatives for controlling insect pests that threaten the state's one point four billion dollar specialty crop, inter, uh, crop industry. Uh, Cornell is at the forefront of critical IPM research, looking to innovate options for farmers in managing damaging pests and safeguarding their crops. The department is proud to support this project that will build on research underway for our field crops identify additional solutions to protect our specialty crops and increase economic viability while also protecting the environment. After a statewide ban in 2021, the EPA banned uh, chlorpyrifos earlier this year uh now new york lawmakers are considering actions restricting the use of neonicotinoids commonly referred to as neonics Uh, we've invested a lot of time highlighting the risk and benefits of these chemicals now it's time to help farmers assess alternative pest management solutions to provide uh, better digital tools to improve ipm practices um, and then I'll go down here and read the kind of summary here. As we seek greater farm sustainability, it's important to equip New York growers with the best combination of pest management tools and techniques. Uh, investing in this research can lead to more reliable and cost-effective options for growers, helping to design approaches that benefit our environment, our agriculture industry, and the citizens in our state. And while I think this is fantastic, good, we've got money pouring into this. I do not agree with the the route that they've gone, where it's ban a pesticide first, then research an alternative. I think that should be done in uh the 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 opposite order yeah it's a little it's a little bass backwards but you know what pretty much everything that's going to be coming down the government pipeline is going to be bass backwards but if this is as good as we can get then damn it at least this is a positive step in the right direction and i do feel good about cornell uh uh uh, having access to this here because you know talk about a wonderful uh, uh, uh 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 turf and ornamental program agricultural program and uh, and you know New New York you may think is is New York is not being uh, an agricultural powerhouse but indeed it is not just New York but also the surrounding areas of New Jersey especially Southern New Jersey who knew Southern New Jersey uh, and peach production makes the state of Georgia not look like the Peach State uh, uh, blueberries and peaches out of out of New Jersey uh, make every other uh, state in the South look like uh, 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 well definitely not the damn Peach State so anyway. Super excited about this. Good on them. Yeah,
3: Um, Good on them. A little bit backwards, because here's my question, Matt. What happens when, after going through all of this research, Cornell comes to the conclusion that we don't have a good replacement for neonicotinoids? Because I got to tell you, Matt, for me... Neonicotinoids were revolutionary. Okay, they were very revolutionary. And the reason why I say they were revolutionary is because I don't use a lot of neonicotinoids on turf on turf grass. I use them more heavily on trees and shrubs. Okay. Neonicotinoids are my foundational product. And use of neonicotinoids has replaced what I lost in 2000, okay? What I lost in 2000, most of that got taken up very well by... Deployment of neonicotinoids in a responsible manner. Because, you know, a lot of this focus on banning neonicotinoids is on protecting pollinators. But majority of exposure to pollinators occurs when a neonicotinoid is directly applied to or somehow contaminates a blooming plant. In other words, that neonicotinoid has to directly be applied to the flower when the plant is in bloom. Because if that neonicotinoid, for example, is applied to the soil and then is translocated up into the plant, research conducted by the major patent holders for neonicotinoids nicotinoids has demonstrated that the amount of residue in the in the pollen is not enough to have adverse effect on bees
1: well ray that's just your opinion man
0: uh, no, I'm I'm, 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 no, I'm kidding. I'm 100% yeah. Joking, right? 100% yeah, because,
3: uh, because, by the way, for many years, I have applied soil injections of imidacloprid to shrubs and, and trees, and I am not the guy killing bees because, on the other hand, Matt, guess what I used to do back in the old days that I know killed bees?
1: I have it on. Carbaryl.
3: No. Carbaryl. Car- Car- uh And diocarb? There's Van. There's ban. Yep. I mean, imagine shooting a shrub or a tree with Turkem.
0: I did. I- it. Imagine, imagine <laughs> spraying above your head with no hat on, uh, uh, tempo, and uh, absolutely setting your scalp on fire in the process. Oh, God. Because yeah, that was you so weird, stupid you know?
2: shit. You <laughs> did an tree on a ladder and <laughs> you do it uh, once. You know, uh, well, because uh
0: smash your smash your elf air filter in <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh right, gentlemen, let's uh let's check out this week's uh mailbag. You've got mail. All right, we got our uh first one here from Jason. He said, Hey man, I'm having problems with Bermuda grass in my cool season lawn. I plan on doing an oversee this fall and a full renovation in the backyard. What pre- and post-emergent would you recommend? Uh, We have talked about this significantly. Go back and listen to our Thirsty Thursday episode, not last week, but the week before where we had call-ins. Or go back and listen to our Joe Knows Turf segment. Uh, uh, No, no, no. No, no, no. no, no, We were not talking about Bermuda grass in that one. It would have been our Thirsty Thursday the week before. Uh, Is that when we were talking to Cam? Or was it the week before Cam? I
3: believe it was the week before Cam. It was yeah, a week before, week before during
0: call-ins. We had a call-in yes. show, and we were talking about it. So it would have been uh, not one, but two, but the third, Thursday, Thursday. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. The second Thursday, Thursday before Ear, Nose, and Turf uh, would have been where we talked about that. And, you know, we're looking at uh, frequent applications. You know, there's, there's Pilex program videos out there. Uh, and that one we describe also using Flazifop. And, uh, and if you plan on doing a renovation, combining fluazifop with, um, uh, uh, glyphosate would be your best bet. You could go back and watch the episode with, um, uh, uh, Aldo Aldo actually took this approach to absolutely eliminate his common Bermuda. And so you would effectively do the same thing, but instead of replacing it with more Bermuda seed, like he did, you'd be replacing it with tall fescue, uh, like he didn't do. Uh, and then the next one here is from Nick and here we go. Um, I have questions about gypsum and sodic soils. I have soil tests from multiple locations, some with clay, and I'm trying to figure out how to determine if they are fine textured sodic soils. They provide sodium levels, but not sure how to read the proper levels to determine if gypsum is a good choice or not. Thank you. Uh, gentlemen, and I'm trying to go off memory here, and I cannot recall, but a sodic soil is defined as, uh, as a percentage of uh, exchange exchangeable sodium. You would be greater than 6%.
3: Greater than six percent. or I don't know that one. Off For me, top my, my my ceiling is I become concerned over twenty five parts per million sodium. Unless I'm dealing with a salt tolerant turf grass. And salt tolerant turf grasses include Bermuda, Saint Augustine, Zoysia, and Seashore Pespalum. But if I'm dealing with another type of turf, I pay attention when that sodium level absolutely is over 25 parts per million.
0: And typically, you're going to see sodic soils in arid regions, you know, the west, um, uh, you know, parts of, of Texas, uh, New Mexico, you know, f- further out west and, you know, dry really, really, really dry climates is, is normally where you see that. And uh, and so and if you're wondering how to calculate your sodium uh, by a percentage of exchange, um, let's see, they're pro- on a soil test they are probably going to provide you what potassium, calcium and magnesium. You know, you're going to leave off what mm-hmm. hydrogen and ammonium. Uh, yes. But I would say that is a general rule of thumb. Uh, you add all those parts per million up and uh, and, you know, divide. Say for instance you've got a hundred parts per million of sodium, and then you would add a hundred parts per million of sodium. Whatever parts per million of calcium you have, whatever parts per million of magnesium you have, um, and whatever parts per million of potassium you have. so say you've got a hundred parts per million of potassium, a thousand parts per million of calcium, and a hundred parts per million of magnesium. So that would be what would that be? Fourteen hundred total parts per million. But you got a hundred parts per million of sodium. You would divide a hundred by the total of fourteen hundred and uh and that would give you a percentage uh, rough uh because you you're not also taking into account your hydrogen and uh ammonium in, in that particular instance but you're also also the other thing with sodic soils are typically going to be high ph2 so you're not going to have a lot of exchangeable hydrogen to begin with so uh what is this 100 divided by 1400 then you know you would be seven percent you would be over uh six uh, percent and so then you would uh, fall into the category of a sodic soil. And gypsum would be beneficial for you there. Now, gentlemen, if you are a sodic soil, what rates of gypsum would you recommend? And what would your application frequency be?
3: Man. Uh, That depends on, okay. (laughs) Okay. Last time I had to deal with the sodic soil application program looked like half a ton per acre, three three to four times a year
0: thousand pounds an acre
1: thousand pounds, 22, uh, 22 pounds
2: bucks. per thousand there you go yeah there you I go. Mean, I,
0: I
3: had i had guys uh line up with the uh let's go spreader across that area and hopper full open send it <laughs> and repeat you know four times a year and by the way this situation was actually created they did this to themselves but what'd you just say right this this sodic soil situation that i had to deal with they created it
1: oh 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 oh
3: yeah they did it to themselves irrigating with salt water or something i was gonna say uh, sea yeah. water mm. no even better uh Somebody followed this old wife's tale that you can apply unlimited amounts of salt to a seashore pastelum turf
1: to control weeds. Yeah. However, (laughs) here's the caveat. You don't do
3: that on a clay soil or a clay-based substrate. You can do whatever you want on sand, but you must not do that to a clay soil because clay is highly retentive of sodium and other cations that you apply to it, right? Very retentive. So, these people salted the ground so many times that not even the turf would grow. Oops. Oops, but that's a digression. But the whole point is, is that I would look beyond just the sodium count. I would also be looking at what is my pH and what is my calcium content? Because if I'm dealing with a soil that has a high calcium content, my preference would not be to apply more gypsum. My preference would actually be to acidify the soil, liberate the insoluble calcium carbonates and bicarbonates, and use that to displace the sodium from the soil exchange sites. Ooh, that's creative. Oh, and by the way, this is actually what I ended up doing to that site that was salt affected because it was also high pH. Part of the prescription was monthly applications of 50 pounds per acre of citric acid and sprayed on and then watered in
0: (laughs) and if you would like to more to learn more about soil ph reduction there's lots of uh videos out there again you can go back and watch aldo's thirsty thursday episode Mm -hmm. um ben the lawn guardian has a great video out Mm -hmm. where he spoke specifically about Ray's program on that and uh yeah yeah lots of lots of information out there all right we've got to get out of here thank you so much for watching this week uh we're gonna go hang out with the patrons and let them choose the title of this week's episode we'll see y'all on Thursday, thursday hey who's coming up on Thursday, thursday jp real
2: low dad
1: uh, oh, Zappa. Wow. big
0: Yikes. mike is coming on and we're gonna have a yeah. wonderful time that is one you do not want to miss because uh i'm sure it's gonna be shit loads of fun All right, y'all have a good one. (laughs) See (laughs) you.